we are exhorted by the Apostle Paul to give attention to the reading of the Word of God. I invite you to open your Bible with me and look at Philippians chapter 1 as we begin reading in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. I'm reading from the NIV. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, <clears throat> without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. One of Job's counselors observed, Man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Job himself offered, Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Gladly we can say that troubles usually pass, to be followed by periods of respite. But no life, and I mean no life, is free from the gales and the waves of trouble, be they physical, emotional, spiritual, material, or whatever. 
any aspect of life is vulnerable to affliction. But Christians have a resource in the storms of adversity. That resource is our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And we realize the strength of the anchor when we feel the stress of the storm. The joy of the Lord can be discovered in the midst of adversity. One secret to finding that joy of the Lord in adversity is to develop and cultivate a prayerful heart. Thus, we can experience the joy of a prayerful heart. That's the kind of heart that Paul discloses in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. But there is another secret to finding joy in your adversity, and that is to see your circumstances from God's perspective. That viewpoint will liberate you to find joy in whatever circumstances you may be living at any moment. To find joy in your adversity, learn to see your circumstances from God's perspective. I believe that in the text we've read this morning, God's perspective is summed up in three ideas. They are, to live is Christ. To die is gain. To suffer is honor. If you and I could just get a hold of those ideas and write them on our hearts and learn to see our circumstances through those lenses, we would gain God's perspective on our circumstances. And we would find joy in that perspective. To live is Christ. Dr. Homer Kent has said the very essence of Paul's present life was Christ. And all that this entailed, from the theological fact that Paul was identified with Christ in a vital spiritual union, issued far-reaching practical implications. Christ had become for him the motive of his actions, the goal of his life and ministry, the source of his strength. For me to live is Christ. The essence of life to the Apostle Paul was to glorify Jesus Christ. He could not separate his daily routine from his union with Christ. That vital union with Christ, that he was in Christ, that he was one with Christ, impacted everything about the Apostle Paul. Stuart Briscoe has remarked, Paul was convinced things could only happen to him if God permitted, that God would not allow meaningless things to happen. And as he looked for the divine purpose in all that took place, he had discovered that things happened to him in order that things could happen in him. And things happened in him so that things could happen through him. That's a great insight. You and I need to be reminded that our lives are being sovereignly guided by God. 
all of our circumstances, even those that we foolishly bring upon ourselves, can be used by God to advance His purposes. We need to get a hold of that. That the very essence of life in this world for the Christian is Jesus Christ. What an honor that God should be so vitally concerned with you and me that he would see that every circumstance of our lives would ultimately be for the good, Romans 8, 28. That it would advance his purposes. Paul knew that truth. And as a result of it, he said, my circumstances, my adversity extends the gospel to new territory. He says, I am in chains. And his situation was that he was under arrest. He had been now for three years, basically incarcerated. Most of that time in Caesarea, in Palestine, but now he has gone by ship to Rome, and there he's responsible to rent his own home while he's a prisoner. And guarding him 24 hours a day is the elite guard of Caesar, the Praetorian Guard. Two of them assigned, are assigned to him for four-hour shifts. One is chained to one hand, another is chained to the other hand. Paul says, in my chains, the gospel has been extended into the very household of Caesar. Do you see his joy in that? He says, for me, even these circumstances, living is Jesus Christ, and God is involved in my circumstances and is extending the gospel into unreached territory. Who can imagine that Nero, the uh, man of questionable sanity, who became such a great persecutor of both Jews and Christians, that in the household of this very man, his elite guard, there would be those who would be converted to faith in Jesus Christ because God assigned Paul to be chained to them. And you can just imagine when they got shackled up together in those chains, they knew what was coming. Paul says, you know why I'm here? No, where are you here? I'm in chains for Christ. For who? And he takes off. Or they get chained to Paul and he says to them, Have you come to that place in your spiritual pilgrimage where you know for certain if you died tonight you'd go to heaven? Or words something like that. You see, Paul saw his circumstances being used by God. They weren't fun circumstances. They were hard. Nonetheless, he says, for me, living is Christ, even in this adversity. Our circumstances, too, can extend the gospel to new territory. I don't know what your adversity is today, but can you get that lens in focus? God's using your adversity for some purpose. It may be to extend the gospel where it's not been before. 
And then Paul was able to see that God was using his circumstances to encourage others to faithfulness. He says, around me there are those who are now more bold, <clears throat> more courageous and fearless to speak the gospel because of my adversity. Can you see God using your circumstances that way? Changing the lives of others around you so that they will, because of you, be more faithful, be more bold, be more courageous for Christ? If you can, then you're getting into focus this lens that to live is Christ. That's God's perspective. And Paul was able to see that his adversity enabled him to see what was really important in life. He says there are some who are preaching Christ sincerely. They've sort of taken up my place because I'm chained. He says there are others who are preaching Christ in this city who are doing so with impure motives. Somehow they think they're going to add trouble to my life. Paul may be talking about some, it's hard to imagine this, but some who may have been jealous of Paul. And their real motive was that Paul couldn't be out there on the center stage, and now they could be. Paul says, what do I care? The important thing is that Jesus Christ is being preached. You see, his circumstances helped Paul to see what was truly important. It wasn't his situation. It wasn't whether others had the good motives or the bad motives. It was that God's purpose is being accomplished. Christ is being proclaimed. Our circumstances, too, can enable us to see what really matters. Too often in our circumstances, especially in adversity... We get focused on our difficulties to the point that we lose sight of what's important in life. Paul says, here's what's important, Christ being preached. To me to live is Christ. And Paul was able to say quite transparently that his adversity was energy to him. He was being energized to an even greater devotion to Christ. He says... I am trusting God that like has been true in the past, so it will be true now. Christ will be exalted in my body, whether it means that I will go on living or I am martyred in Rome. If you and I can get a hold of God's perspective in our circumstances, it will energize us to greater devotion as well. So will you ask God to give you his perspective in your circumstances? Will you ask him to help you to learn to see that for you to live is Christ? That's the important issue. To believe that, you must see that God will allow nothing meaningless to happen to you. That everything that comes to you, like Briscoe said, comes to you so that God can do something in you and then do something through you. For me to live is Christ. 
If you and I can get a hold of that perspective and that idea, it will transform our attitudes about our circumstances and produce joy in our lives. The second idea that I see here is in the second half of that verse. Paul says, to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. There are some people, very secular people in our world today, who would agree with that. There was a doctor on trial in Michigan for assisting the suicide of two women. He would agree with this, to die is gain, especially when you're in pain and suffering. And there are those who take their own lives and who say, well, it's better for me to die than to live with this guilt or this anguish, this pain that I have to be in. And so they might think that they understand what it means when Paul says, to die is gain. But they totally missed the point. That is not what Paul meant. Paul is not saying this because he would escape his problems. He doesn't mean to die is gain because then I'll be out of these chains. That's not what he means. He is saying this because to die for him as a Christian meant that he would experience glory. What does it mean to die? Undoubtedly, most of us here have experienced death of someone significant in our lives. And we have stood beside that bed or we have wept beside that casket. We have hugged our family and friends at the gravesite. And we're overwhelmed by this whole idea of death. What does it mean to die? Paul tells us here what it means to die for the Christian. He says it means to depart. Do you notice his language? It means to depart, he says. The word was used in that day to break up a camp. To depart. To break up camp. Or it was used for the loosing of the moorings of a ship so that the ship could go out to sea where it belonged. To depart. It means to unloose. It is used in the Bible in Acts 16, verse 26, interestingly, in Paul's very experience in Philippi of a prisoner being freed from his chains. Paul says, death for the Christian means to depart. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and to be with Christ. It's not merely leaving, it's arriving. It's like stepping through a door. When you leave here this morning, you will step through a door, and in one step, you will leave this worship center and go into the hallway. You leave and arrive with one action. And that is exactly what Paul is saying. To die for the Christian means to depart this world and to arrive in the next one that fast. Paul is not talking about reincarnation. That's a lie of the devil. There is no such thing as reincarnation. To depart does not mean to go into oblivion or to nothingness. 
To depart and to be with Christ does not mean to go to purgatory. To depart and be with Christ does not mean that one experiences soul sleep or unconsciousness until the future resurrection. Not at all. He is saying that to depart from this world means to be with Christ and aware of it. And so he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, that death for the believer means to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That was the phrase that we chose to put on my mother's tombstone. After it gives her name and the dates of her birth and death, it says, At home with her Lord. That's what death is for the Christian. And Paul says, For me to die is gain. But Paul, what is death's result? Well, he says it's better by far. It's better by far to die. Paul does something unusual here. He brings together an expression technically found only here in the New Testament. He he finds three comparatives and crunches them together. Literally, he says, which is more excellent to a greater extent by much. It's terrible English. And that's why it's translated a little differently for us. But Paul is saying there is no way to describe to you how much better it is to be in glory with Christ. Dying at the hands of Rome was no tragedy in Paul's eyes. He saw it through God's eyes, this whole situation. He had God's perspective on it. If he were to die, it would only support the very witness that he had been giving. He could die a martyr's death and know that his mission was accomplished. That mission of preaching Jesus Christ to the world. He had God's perspective on it. He says, for me, living is Christ. God is at work in my life and every circumstance I go through, God is using that for some good purpose to advance the gospel, to minister to others, to grow me. God's working. And he says, to die, that's, that's even better. He says, that's gain. If you and I can assume that death is the worst circumstance that could ever befall us, and if we believe, as the scriptures say, that death is better than this life, then in the midst of every adversity, you and I can find joy. Because the worst that can ever happen to us, if we look at death that way, will only bring us eternal gain. That's why someone who is not afraid of death, like Paul, is the most potent force in the world. Armies cannot stand up against people who believe what Paul says here. That death is gain. The two ideas that we've looked at that help us to understand God's perspective about our circumstances are that 
to live as Christ and to die as gain, the third idea is to suffer is honor. Now the assumption here is that our suffering is as a Christian. That it's for the sake of Christ that we are suffering in some manner due to the will of God in our lives. Paul says, in essence here, we can count on opposition. There will be adversity in life. Suffering is certain to occur. We must anticipate that. But even as we count on it, we must conduct ourselves worthily. And he tells us how to do that. We are to conduct ourselves with dignity, verse 27. He says, live as citizens of God's kingdom. When Paul uses that expression in verse 27, conduct yourselves in a worthy manner, he uses a word that would have just turned on lights and whistles to the Philippians because they lived in the city of Philippi, which was a Roman colony. There were not many of those in the Roman Empire. It was intended to be a little Rome, a Rome in miniature, and to be a citizen of one of those colonies was a mark of great dignity. And Paul says, now you live as a citizen not merely of Philippi, that, that's small stuff. Live as a citizen of God's kingdom. Conduct yourself with dignity as a child of God in the midst of your suffering. Understand that to suffer for Christ is honor. And he says, conduct yourself with unity, verse 27. Note the oneness in that verse. Stand in one spirit with one soul, striving together. Striving together is a word, soon athleo. Do you hear any word in there that sounds familiar? Athleo. It's our word for athlete. Paul is using the picture of an athletic team, and he says, You as a body of people, as you're suffering for Christ, work together like a team. Don't pull apart, be a team. And suffer. Conduct yourself in your suffering in unity. And he says, conduct yourself with intrepidity. Be courageous. Be fearless. Be brave in the face of your problems. Look at verse 28, the first part of the verse. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. That doesn't happen naturally. You and I can experience that in the power of God's Spirit. A supernatural courage. Paul says to, on, to suffer is honor. Conduct yourself as one who is a citizen of the kingdom of God. And he says, consider, consider the suffering you experience as a gracious gift from God. Verse 29, it has been graciously granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe on him but to suffer for him. We would rather talk about the gift of salvation. Paul says there's the gift of suffering too. They come together. 
And both of them are granted by God to us by grace. But in this world, we can experience salvation by believing on Jesus Christ. And in this world, we will suffer for Christ. And that is God's gracious gift to us. What an honor and a privilege. You and I will find joy in our adversity if we understand that suffering in God's will is an honor he bestows upon us. Is that the way you see your life and your circumstances this morning? Are you able to look at your problems in your family, your problems in your marriage, your problems in your relationships at work, your problems with your job, your problems inside yourself, are you able to gain God's perspective on those? To live is Christ. To die is gain. To suffer is honor. As you and I can put those lenses into focus in our lives, we will see our adversity from God's perspective and we will have joy. But how do you gain that? How can we really do this? We are built so that we like to have four steps to it. And if we do those four things, it'll happen just like that. And that's not the way this works. You and I gain God's perspective in this book. By getting to know Him as He reveals Himself to us in the Word. How do you know what I think? Or how do I know what you think? The answer is we have to get to know each other. And if we're going to gain God's perspective on our particular problems, we need to go to the Word of God and get to know God. And we can find that joy that God promises us in this world. John and Betty Stam served Jesus Christ in China as missionaries. Actually, they had met when they were each in Bible school. And as singles, they went to China. But about a year after going there, they saw each other again, fell in love, and got married on the mission field. They were only in their mid-twenties, and God had just given them, a newly married couple, a little baby when war broke out in China. And the two of them, actually the three of them, were caught up in that war, were taken prisoner and held. One of the Chinese who was helping them at the time was able to hide the little girl, the little baby. But John and Betty Stam were taken one morning in early December of 1934. She was 28. He was 27. They were forced to kneel. And they were beheaded in China for the cause of Christ. Interestingly, their niece attends our church when she's in the cities, Ruth Jordan. 
John and Betty Stam's martyrdom for the cause of Jesus Christ shook the world in the 30s. And as a result of, of that, Dr. Will Houghton, who was the president of the Bible school where they went, wrote a hymn in memory of them. It's entitled, By Life or By Death. And it's based on the text that we've used this morning. The words go like this. So this is life, this world, with all its pleasures, struggles and tears, a smile, a frown, a sigh. Friendship so true and love of kin and neighbor. Sometimes tis hard to live, always to die. The world moves on. So rapidly the living, the forms of those who disappear, replace. And each one dreams that he will be enduring. How soon that one becomes the missing face. In life or death, and life is surely flying, the crib and coffin carved from the self-same tree. In life or death, and death is so soon is coming, Escape I cannot, there's no place to flee. But thou, O God, hast life that is eternal. That life is mine, a gift through thy dear Son. Help me to feel its flush and pulse supernal. Assurance of the morn when life is done. Help me to know the value of these hours. Help me the folly of all waste to see. Help me to trust the Christ who bore my sorrows, and thus to yield for life or death to Thee. In all my days be glorified, Lord Jesus. In all my ways guide me with Thine own eye. Just when and as Thou wilt use me, Lord Jesus. And then for me, tis Christ, to live or die. How are you looking at your circumstances? If you're prospering, there may be the temptation to boast, to be self-indulgent, to say, I deserved this. But what is God's perspective of your prosperity? What ought your response to it to be? How would God have you to handle it? What should you do with it? And if you're suffering today, there may be the temptation to be resentful or bitter. You may be confused or worried. But what is God's perspective? To find out Seek the Lord. It may be instead of seeking the Lord, you've been running from Him, avoiding God, or resisting Him. Today it's time to stop, to turn around and seek Him, and say, God, in whatever circumstance I am, show me to live life from your perspective. Let's pray together.
Sing with me this chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Friend, have you been resisting God? Running from God? Today, will you give him your anxieties and your cares? I hope you will. We're going to take time to sing a verse of a final song in just a moment. And when we do, I want to invite you, if you'd like to pray with someone, if today you want to seek the Lord and you need someone to kneel with you, I invite you to come as we close the service. Father God, give us your perspective. Even upon this invitation time, give us your perspective. And may living be Christ for every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.